everyone. It is Nurse Mo and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I have a special treat for you today for episode 123. Today we're doing a whole episode in pod quiz format. So this pod quiz will be all about the signs and symptoms associated with electrolyte imbalances. So before we hop into that, I do want to take a moment for our listener shout out. And this one was on Apple Podcasts, and the username is really kind of funny. It's Art of More Hair. Um, Sometimes it's not the name of the person, it's like their screen name. So that's what came through on this one, but it's so good, I have to share. I am so glad that I tripped across this podcast. It is amazing. I love that the speaker touches on most of the nursing school topics and delivers the message in a clear, simplified way that makes hard-to-learn concepts easy to understand. Her voice is refreshing as well as her energy. I love when she tells her nursing stories experience, gives Q&A topics, and creates clinical cases for us to investigate. She also gives the rationale behind the why. I listen to her podcast while gardening, exercising, and cooking. I could go on and on. You really have to experience this podcast for yourself. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Thank you so much for writing in to share that. Um, I love that you guys take the time to submit reviews and they're all so genuine and heartfelt. They just make me so happy and I read every single one. So if you haven't yet rated and reviewed this podcast, please do so. Maybe you will be featured on an upcoming listener shout out and make sure that you subscribe. If you subscribe, then you never miss an episode. Okay, so as promised, you guys, we're doing pod quiz today. And if this is the first time you've heard me talk about pod quiz, this is essentially flashcards for your ears. So this is great review. I wouldn't necessarily do this if you have not yet started studying these topics because you're just going to maybe get frustrated. But if you are reviewing information and assessing your understanding and your readiness for exams and clinical, this is perfect. So you might want to save this one for another time or what the heck, dive right in and let's see how well you know the signs and symptoms related to electrolyte imbalances. So a lot of times I see nursing students stressing about memorizing lab values. And while I get that you you're probably tested on that. I think that's kind of a waste of a test because that information is so readily available in your, you know, the electronic medical record. When you go to look at the lab, it says right there if it's too high or too low. But um, I think it's more important that you know the signs and symptoms of uh, imbalances. And then with that, what you watch for, how you treat it, why you care so much about it. So we're going to talk about that here. And if you guys like pod quizzes, you're going to love my app that I am getting close to finishing up. The app itself is Flashcards for Nursing Students. I believe when we come out with version one, it will have over 4,000 flashcards. And the questions I'm going through today are from the fluid and electrolytes section within that. So if you're interested in the app, I will put the link to the wait list in the show notes so that you can sign up for it and get a notification when we do go live. So we're 
finalizing the last few topics and working on, you know, the programming and all of that. So we're getting very close and I'm super excited about it. Okay. So how pod quizzes work is it's flashcards for your ears. I'm going to ask a question. Sometimes it's a question. Sometimes it's a fill in the blank. And then I pause and I give you time to answer out loud or you can answer in your head if you're somewhere and you don't want people looking at you like you've gone bonkers. And then I will speak the answer so that you can check if you got it right. So it's just like doing flashcards, but they're for your ears. It's a pod quiz. Okay, so we're talking about... Fluid and electrolyte, the signs and symptoms associated with imbalances if it's too high or if it's too low. So are you ready? Okay. Diminished deep tendon reflexes are a sign of hypo or hypernatremia. That's hyponatremia. Excellent. The signs and symptoms of hyponatremia are often what in nature, in a general sense? They're often neurological in nature. Very good. A patient with hyponatremia will typically have either an increased or decreased level of consciousness. Which one? Good. Decreased level of consciousness with hyponatremia. Your patient has renal failure. So you are concerned their sodium levels may be too high or too low. You're concerned that their sodium levels would be too high if they have renal failure. What are the three classifications of hyponatremia? So there's hypovolemic, hypervolemic, and euvolemic hyponatremias. So what's going on with hypovolemic hyponatremia? So what's going on with the extracellular fluid volume? It's going to be low. And what about their sodium level? It's low. So that's hypovolemic hyponatremia. Okay, now let's look at hypervolemic hyponatremia. Do you have increased or decreased extracellular fluid in hypervolemic hyponatremia? You have increased extracellular fluid volume and decreased sodium. And then what about if it's euvolemic hyponatremia? Perfect. You guys are so smart. Your extracellular fluid volume is normal, but your sodium is decreased. Very good. Okay, in hyperchloremia, will respiratory rate be increased or decreased? Increased. Very good. When bicarbonate ions are lost through the GI tract or the kidneys, What kind of metabolic acidosis can occur? Hypochloremic or hyperchloremic? Hyperchloremic metabolic acidosis. Super. Cardiac output will be increased or decreased in hyperchloremia. That is decreased. Very nice. 
hyperchloremia leads to peripheral vasodilation or vasoconstriction. Hyperchloremia leads to peripheral vasodilation. Very good. A chloride level below what is considered hypochloremia? And keep in mind that reference ranges often vary, but a ballpark is fine. So a chloride level below 95 milliequivalents per liter is generally considered hypochloremia. So a patient who has a high serum chloride level will exhibit bradycardia or tachycardia. They're going to be exhibiting a bradycardia, and will they have hypotension or hypertension? With that bradycardia comes a hypotension. Very good. A potassium level greater than what would be considered hyperkalemia? Again, ballpark is fine. So for a potassium level to be considered hyperkalemia, that's typically a level above 5. Some institutions say 5.5. So it really will vary based on where your clinicals are and what your school wants you to memorize. Hopefully on an exam, it's not so narrow. They'll give you a number like 7, and it'll be very clear that they're talking about hyperkalemia. What causes the muscle weakness in hypokalemia? The muscle weakness in hypokalemia is due to decreased impulse conduction. Remember that potassium plays a role in action, potential, action potentials of cells. What GI symptoms will you see with hyperkalemia? So with hyperkalemia, think hyper-GI symptoms. So diarrhea, hyperactive bowel sounds, and could have some nausea with that. What about GI symptoms with hypokalemia? So that's the opposite. You'll have constipation, maybe even an ileus where there's no GI motility at all. And that can, both of those issues can lead to nausea and vomiting. A potassium level below blank is hypokalemia. 3.5. And again, reference ranges vary. This is ballpark. What will you see on the EKG with hypokalemia? So think about, let's talk about the ST segment first. What will you see on the ST segment with hypokalemia? You'll see ST depression. What about the Q wave in hypokalemia? So you could have an enlarged Q wave that could be on top of the T wave. And then what about the T wave itself in hypokalemia? What might you see? It could be flat or it could be inverted. Okay, this is a true or false question. True or false? Confusion, restlessness, and irritability are associated with hyperkalemia. That is true. Very good. True or false, confusion and decreased level of consciousness are often associated with hypokalemia. 
That is true. Very, very good. Tell me the normal range for a sodium level in an adult. And again, ballpark is fine. 135 to 145 milliequivalents per liter is a general standard range. What is a normal serum osmolality in an adult? So this would be around 280 to 300 milliosmoles per kilogram. And again, ballpark reference ranges often vary based on where you're working. A sodium level greater than blank is hypernatremia. 145, very good. In hypernatremia, will the osmolality be hypertonic or hypotonic? It'll be hypertonic. You guys are amazing. In addition to monitoring a patient's daily weights and their neurological status, what else would you address or assess rather in a patient with the sodium imbalance? You're also going to assess for signs of edema. What respiratory signs and symptoms is present with hypochloremia? I'll even break that down a little bit more. Would it be hyperventilation or hypoventilation? Hypoventilation. Very good. Many of the signs and symptoms of hypochloremia are due to a correlating hypocalcemia, resulting in confusion, paresthesia, and what are a couple other things? Yeah, could be convulsions or tetany. Very, very good. So just think neurological um, type symptoms. Musculoskeletal signs of hypochloremia are increased or decreased deep tendon reflexes. Increased deep tendon reflexes. How do you calculate the anion gap? Chloride plus bicarbonate minus what? Sodium. Very, very good. In hyperkalemia, you will see what kind of T waves on the EKG, especially early hyperkalemia, early and acute onset hyperkalemia. Those T waves are typically tall and peaked. Very good. What happens to the QT interval in hypokalemia? The QT interval in hypokalemia um, often becomes prolonged. So your patient has a hypokalemia situation. What monitoring do you want to start ASAP? You want to get that patient on the monitor, get some EKG monitoring happening right away because they are very high risk for cardiac dysrhythmias. And if the hypokalemia is pronounced enough, cardiac arrest. Hyperkalemia can cause hypotension or hypertension. Hypotension. Hyperkalemia can cause bradycardia or tachycardia. Bradycardia. What neurological signs and symptoms can occur in hyperkalemia? So we're looking at 
decreased LOC, confusion, agitation, and what might happen to the hands and the feet and the face. The patient could have numbness and tingling there. Hypokalemia causes increased or decreased deep tendon reflexes. Decreased deep tendon reflexes. Very good. Okay, true or false, mild hyperkalemia causes muscle cramps. That is true. The signs and symptoms of hyperphosphatemia are often related to signs of this electrolyte imbalance. Hypocalcemia, and that's because calcium and phosphorus have an inverse relationship. So a lot of times on your exams, the question will talk about hyperphosphatemia, but the clues it gives are about hypocalcemia and vice versa. So it's expecting you to understand that there's that inverse relationship. So they're trying to trick you, but you guys are untrickable. Okay. Twitching, tingling, numbness, and muscle cramps are signs of Hyper or hypophosphatemia. Those are signs of hyperphosphatemia, which are also going to be the signs of hypocalcemia. Very good. Ataxia, paresthesia, and weakness are those associated with hypophosphatemia or hyperphosphatemia. Ataxia, paresthesia, and weakness are signs of hypophosphatemia, a low FOS level. Hypotension and myocardial depression are signs of hypo or hyperphosphatemia. Those are hypophosphatemia. Respiratory depression is a sign of hypo or hyperphosphatemia. Hypophosphatemia. You guys are doing so good. True or false, respiratory depression can occur with hypophosphatemia. So if you're paying attention to the prior one, you got this one right. It is true. So your patient is complaining of tingling around their mouth. What labs would you expect to be altered? So I would suspect hypocalcemia with a correlating hyperphosphatemia as well. What is a normal range for magnesium in the ballpark range? Typically 1.8 to 3.0. So your patient has hypermagnesemia. Do you expect their deep tendon reflexes to be increased or decreased? Their deep tendon reflexes will be decreased. And I always remember this one because I was taking care of a patient who had preeclampsia. And if you guys haven't listened to that podcast episode, there's one on preeclampsia and how we treat that. And one of the ways we treat it is with IV magnesium. And the patient came from an outside hospital. I forget how far away it was. And... I don't even remember how much time had gone by since she'd had a magnesium level checked. She was on a ventilator, thank goodness, because she had no respiratory drive and she was not able to move her body at all. She was completely unarousable and I don't even know if she was on sedation. I'm thinking back, I'm not 100% sure that she was on 
any sedation. I think the IV magnesium had just decreased her deep tendon reflexes so much that she wasn't able to even move. Um, luckily, she was on a ventilator because that would have affected her muscles of respiration um, as well. Hypermagnesemia does cause respiratory depression. So we checked a mag level. I don't remember what it was, but it was really high. And then we eventually got it down. Um, kept her blood pressure under control for the preeclampsia. I hope she, I'm pretty sure she was then extubated because she didn't have an underlying respiratory disorder and got sent over to high-risk maternity where she belonged. But anyway, I'll never forget that patient and the effects of that high magnesium level. So muscle twitches, cramping of the legs and feet, is that going to be with hypomagnesemia or hyper? So if the hypermagnesemia caused like a depression of those things, the excitability would be the opposite. So hypomagnesemia. So your patient has a hypomagnesemia. What might you see on the EKG in relation to their QT interval? Possibly could be prolonged. What about their QRS, narrow or wide? If it's low enough, it's going to be a wider QRS. And then the ST segment, could that be increased or decreased or no change? You could have some ST depression with that. And then the T wave could be maybe inverted, maybe? Yeah, maybe so. Okay, so nystagmus, is that going to come with hypomagnesemia or hypermagnesemia? Hypomagnesemia. You guys are crushing it. True or false, you could see EKG abnormalities with both hypo and hypermagnesemia. That is true. Another true or false, hypermagnesemia can result in heart block. That is true, and that is due to delayed conduction in the heart. True or false, facial flushing is a sign of hypermagnesemia. That is also true. I need to make some false ones for you guys. I think most of my trues and falses are trues. That's kind of funny. Okay, I just, I'm a positive person, that's why. Hypermagnesemia will cause hypotension or hypertension. Hypermagnesemia, is that going to lower blood pressure or raise blood pressure? Think about the example I talked about a moment ago with that patient with preeclampsia. It's going to cause blood pressure to go down, can cause hypotension. True or false, the patient with hypomagnesemia will have a negative Jovstek sign. Okay, that one's false. Ha, I got you guys. So the patient with hypomagnesemia will have a positive Jovstek sign, and that's typically due to that concurrent um, hypocalcemia that occurs. So when mag is low, calcium is also often low. Why will the patient with hypomagnesemia have a positive trousseau sign? So if you guys know that trousseau sign is an indicator of hypocalcemia, and you were paying attention just a minute ago when I talked about low mag levels also correlating with low calcium levels, then you would understand that a patient with hypomagnesemia will have a positive trousseau sign because they probably also have a hypocalcemia with their hypomagnesemia. What is the reference range for a normal calcium level? 
8.5 to 10 milligrams per deciliter. Again, ballpark range. Hypo or hypercalcemia causes nausea and vomiting. That's going to be hypercalcemia. Does hypo or hypercalcemia cause constipation with an ileus possible? That's hypercalcemia. And I know you guys are thinking, wait a minute, I thought there was nausea and vomiting, but now you're saying there's not a lot of GI motility. Well, the issue here is that ileus, constipation, the bloating, the abdominal discomfort that come with that decreased GI motility also cause nausea and vomiting, okay? True or false, hypercalcemia can cause tachycardia. Hypercalcemia can cause tachycardia. That is false. It's more likely to cause a bradycardia. What lethal rhythm can be caused by hypomagnesemia? That is torsades de points. Hypocalcemia can cause ventricular or atrial fibrillation. It's typically going to cause ventricular fibrillation. It's going to cause the patient to go into, you know, V-fib and then they're coding and not good things are happening, okay? Um, hypo or hypercalcemia can cause diarrhea. That is hypocalcemia causing diarrhea. Remember, the hypercalcemia caused the constipation and the ileus. A patient with hypocalcemia, will they have a positive or negative chopstick sign? It's going to be positive. Laryngospasm is a sign of hypo or hypercalcemia. It's going to go with hypocalcemia. So contraction of the facial muscles in response to tapping the facial nerve against the bone just in front of the ear is considered a positive what? That's a Chavstek's sign. You um, tap on the facial nerve right in front of the ear and the facial muscle muscles contract. That's considered a positive chopstick sign, okay? And that is associated with hypocalcemia. How do you test for Trousseau's sign? To test for Trousseau's sign, you inflate a blood pressure cuff on the patient's arm and you leave it inflated for three minutes. So what will you observe if that Trousseau sign is positive? You will observe a carpal spasm. Very, very good. Okay, you guys did awesome. That was like 70 flashcards about fluid and electrolyte signs and symptoms when things are out of whack. So if you like the pod quiz, I'm going to put a link so that you can get on the wait list for the app when I do announce its release. I am super, super excited about that, you guys.
And then also, we are now in mid-October. The January planners, if they're not already for sale in the Etsy shop, they will be very soon. So keep an eye on your email. If you're on my email list, keep an eye on your email for information about that. And then if you follow me on social media, I'll be posting pictures and whatnot so that you know when it's time to order your planners for January 2021. Okay, you guys, I'll see you back here next week. When we talk about chest tubes and how I do not want you to be scared of chest tubes at all, we're going to go through the basics of managing a patient with a chest tube in place. I will see you back next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.